0: Now it's time to think and discern.
1: This is Bob Bernie Live. It is Bob Bernie Live, and we are live at the Creation Museum. I, I don't know whether to call it Cincinnati or Kentucky. It's more Cincinnati than it is Kentucky, but it's in Kentucky, so it's not Cincinnati, but it's Cincinnati, I guess. <laughs> It's right in northern Kentucky, right over the river from Cincinnati. And uh, my goodness, we've had a wonderful, wonderful day here at the Creation Museum. Let me say it again. If you have not been here, make sure you get here as soon as you can. You will be impressed. You will be blessed. You will be blown away. You will be challenged. And you'll probably leave very tired because there's so much to see. Well, I have another special guest seated next to me right now. I have the privilege of visiting with Brian Osborne. Brian Osborne is a popular speaker here at AIG. He is also an author. He's been with Answers in Genesis for eight years. He's both a North Carolina boy and a Tennessee boy. Brian, it is a delight. Welcome to the program.
2: Bob, it is great to be here with you as both a North Carolina and Tennessee boy. <laughs> and, and, and growing Kentucky now.
1: Yes. So so you're not a Buckeye.
2: No, I don't think that'll ever actually grow now on me. No, wait, wait, wait! No, I, I know you're that, talking to a Columbus, <laughs> Ohio audience, man.
1: You are talking to
2: Buckeye Country. Hey, I want God you to know could that. do the supernatural. All right? he could do a miracle. <laughs> I'll never leave that out of the equation.
1: All right, how did you get involved in Answers in Genesis? Have you oh, have you always had an interest in science and the Bible, mm-hmm. creation, and so forth, or is this something that came about?
2: later on in your life it came about later in life honestly i was uh, i grew up in a christian home wonderful christian parents are still alive love them to death and uh, we were had a good christian family Went to church all the time but uh, dealing with apologetics origins creation evolution those topics never really came up we didn't really talk about it if anything, we probably soon maybe God used evolution millions of years—no big deal. Trust in Jesus. You went to public schools. I went to public schools growing taught, up. Taught evolution. Right? Uh, obviously, I was taught that throughout the school throughout my schooling. So it never really occurred to me. And then I went to a Christian college where we talked about worldview and some of these issues, but it never really clicked until I was actually teaching Bible history in a public school in Tennessee. And a friend of mine gave me a DVD about dinosaurs in the Bible, and it gave a biblical perspective on dinosaurs in the Bible, and it blew my mind. And I began to realize uh, how much these answers mattered, how they dealt with biblical authority ultimately. And uh, we need to trust God's word from the beginning. Real science confirms it. I got more and more passionate about it. And so my passion grew from there. And really, as you get to understand this issue, you'll get that, hey, this is about biblical authority ultimately. And that's what Answers in Genesis is all about. And so uh, I really liked this ministry more and more as I got familiar with it. And then God just kept opening doors to where eventually, long story, he drew me into this ministry to be a part of it. And you've
1: been here eight years. Eight years total. Uh, We would expect the liberal, left, mainline, Protestant, denominational churches to question or even outright reject the authority of Scripture. Mm. But how concerned are you about the attitude towards Scripture in the evangelical community?
2: What are you seeing? Yeah. That's a great question. And, you know, what we're seeing so much of is what's been happening now for a really long time in America and throughout the Christian West so-called. And that is a progressive giving up of biblical authority in different areas. And for a long time, we've been kind of sounding the alarm that for so many Christians and churches, they've been sacrificing biblical authority in regards to origins. Ideas like evolution and millions of years crept up on the on the scene, and many Christians over the last really couple hundred years have been trying to import those ideas into God's Word one way or another. And so by doing that, they're actually undermining the authority of God's Word, trying to import man's ideas. And then once you undermine biblical authority at the first part of the Bible, why trust it at the middle part or the end? If you can't trust the beginning of God's Word, why trust it anywhere else? And what you'll tend to notice for so many denominations or Christian colleges that have gone liberal, typically they tend to give up the straightforward understanding of the Bible at the beginning and then progressively reject its authority in other areas as well, eventually giving up the whole thing to one degree or another. And so we're seeing that now happen. So churches give up biblical authority in regards to origins, Genesis, evolution, millions of years, but then biblical authority on sexuality on marriage, on gender, on understanding people groups and the value of human life and who we actually are, made in God's image. And so all those things start to fall when you give up the foundational history starting in the book of Genesis.
1: That's what, that's what I've always questioned. People who say, well, it's not really that important that right. we believe in a literal Genesis account of creation it's not really that important that we really believe in a literal flood, that there was really a Noah. It's very possible that that was a legend, a, a fable that taught us some good principles and so forth. But it's not really that important that we take them literally. My question is, then how do we know that the crucifixion That's right. really happened? How do we know that the bodily resurrection that's exactly right. really happened. How do we know that Jesus was really born of a virgin? How can we pick and choose? Well, we don't believe that part, but, yeah, this part, we, we really do believe.
2: Exactly. And for so, you hit the nail on the head, for so many generations now, especially younger generations today, they look at Christians of the past to have done that. They've embraced biblical authority in one area but rejected it in others, and they look at that as hypocrisy. And rightfully so, because that's what it is. They're saying, okay, you want me to believe this bit over here, but you say that part over there doesn't matter. But hey, mom, dad, grandpa, pastor, if the Bible's been disproved at the beginning, why should I trust it about morality, sexuality, or eternal salvation? Really, when you get down to the bottom of the issue, it is about authority. And the bottom line is this. We as Christians don't have the right to treat God's Word like a buffet. You know, I'll take part of it. I'll take John 3.16. I like that. But I won't take the asparagus. I won't take Genesis chapters 1 to 11 or whatever but you want.
1: But, Brian, like. but, Brian, but, Brian, how can we reject the overwhelming evidence in science? <laughs> how can we reject all of that evidence in the fossil record and the, the proof of evolution? How can, we, how can we
2: claim intellectual integrity and reject science? That is such a popular question, and I really do get it, because for so many Christians today, and I was there for a long time myself, they tend to think, well, hasn't science proven evolution? Hasn't science proven millions of years? Hasn't science proven those things? If we want to be intellectually credible and not say as wackos and make the the rest of the Bible seem credible, we've got to embrace those ideas. And there are many popular apologists, unfortunately, who would actually buy into that and actually proclaim that. That leads to a very uh, confused understanding about what science actually is. And so, We've got to define the word science, what we mean by that word science. So the word science means to know. It means to gain knowledge, two Latin words. And when we typically today think of science, we're thinking of the scientific method, right, a method we use to accumulate knowledge and to make stuff, medicines, technologies. And uh, so we're thinking about that. But there are really two distinct branches of science, and, Bob, this is so important. The first branch you might call operational science, or Mm -hmm. observational science. Uh, We like to call it here and now science. This is observable, testable, repeatable, and falsifiable. This is someone in a laboratory mixing chemical A with chemical B, they get a result, they repeat the process, get the same results, and they accumulate knowledge and make cool stuff. And there's absolutely no conflict between observational science and the Bible. Actually operational or observational science is only possible because the biblical worldview is true. See, God made not only the matter of the universe, he made the laws of nature that runs this universe. He holds it all together consistently. That's why he can do science to begin with. So you can thank the Bible and the reality of Christianity and the biblical worldview for science, which is a cool thing. But you see, at least a very, after that, we get to a very different category of what some would call science. And that would be what you might call a uh, uh, historical Or origins science historical or origin science that's when you're trying to figure out what happened in the unseen past to bring about what it is we see today what happened in the past to form the Grand Canyon what happened in the past to form the rock layers and the fossils what happened in the past to form the stuff we see right now and here's the key all the evidence exists in the present and must be interpreted through a set of assumptions about the unseen past through a worldview about the unseen past and here's the key if you start with the wrong assumptions, especially about unseen history, you'll likely get the wrong conclusions. And, Bob, this is why some really brilliant secular scientists can be so wrong about particular things like the age of the earth, rock layers, dinosaurs. They're starting with the wrong assumptions.
1: Right. We're talking with Brian Osborne. We are live at the Creation Museum. We've got to take a quick break. My number is 877-BOB-LIVE. 877 Two six two fifty-four eighty-three. We'll be right back. Stay tuned.
0: Talk radio that makes a difference. Makes a difference. This is Bob Bernie Live.
1: Well, I honestly pray that this program is making a difference. But let me tell you something else that's making a difference. Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, the Ark Encounter. Uh, I've been here since about 11 o'clock this morning just watching people. And it's incredible what God is doing through these attractions, through this organization And uh, it's my privilege to continue our discussion with Brian Osborne, uh, one of the uh, Answers in Genesis speakers. He's also an author. Uh, Brian, again, welcome.
2: So good to be here. And I'm with you. I love watching the people walk by. Isn't it great? Oh, it's so wonderful. So many people, so many diverse people. It's beautiful.
1: You know, I'm just the the diversity, Mm -hmm. age, race, uh, so many
2: children and young people. That just... Is that pretty common? Well, kids 10 and under are free all year long, so that's another reason parents and grandparents are bringing their kids here, Uh which is a great reason. If you guys who are listening haven't been here yet, it's a great time to come. Bring those kids, bring those grandkids. Kids 10 and under are free. Kids 10 and under are free, and so they come with them. But, yeah, it's very common because, of course, People love, the adults love to read all the content and so forth, but the kids love it as well. And, of course, when you have sculptures of dinosaurs and life and right, right. fossils and dinosaurs and cool insectoriums and all sorts of really great stuff, zoos, animals, kids love that. And it it's very, very
1: interactive.
2: It really is. Very I, interactive. That's grown a lot in the last couple of years, actually, as far as we have zoos at both attractions, the museum and the ark, mm-hmm. and we're doing more and more animal encounter shows. And so, and those are wildly popular, and people love seeing the animals and the animals walking people you know, the zookeepers walking around with the animals and touching them, interacting with them. That's just been extremely popular. Brian, I am
1: considerably older than you are. <laughs> I have no idea how much older, but I'm considerably <laughs> older than you are. Uh, you would not remember the racial conflict of the sixties. Mm. I do. Right. I was raised in Southern California where some of the worst riots, disruptions occurred. I remember how divided we were as a nation over Vietnam, race, and so forth. Mm. But, Brian, I don't believe we have ever been more divided as a nation than we are today. And race is a huge part of it. And I'm convinced that much, if not most, of what is being done in the name of equality equity mm-hmm. racial reconciliation is doing exactly the opposite dividing us more and in reality the real the real answer to racism is found in scripture correct oh, and answers in genesis has been big on this walk us through mm-hmm. the position of answers in genesis which which is the biblical position On race and racism
2: yeah we have so many exhibits that deal with this issue either directly or indirectly because it does go back understanding the issue of racism how to answer it where the problem actually comes from all the answers to those questions do go back to Genesis so if we just start from the beginning when God originally made everything in six days he made Adam and Eve on the sixth day and he made them in his image so you got male and female So we know there are only two fundamental genders. Right. made it that way. Marriage is one man, one woman for life. That's how God made marriage, defines it there in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. And then from those first two people, Adam and Eve, literally comes every human being ever. That means how many races are there? Well, there's just one. We all go back to Adam and Eve. And so that means every single person. No matter your skin shade, your accent, where you come from, the language that you speak, your cultural background, your economic wealth standard, however you're living, every person has equal, inherent, indelible value being made in God's image. And we find that beautiful truth only consistently within the biblical worldview. And so it would make sense that God put inside of Adam and Eve all the genetic diversity necessary to produce multiple beautiful variations in humanity, even in one generation. To produce different shades of skin, different "quote unquote" eye shapes, different people of different heights—wonderful variation—but all still 100% human, made in His image. And why is that? That—that that is such a simple position.
1: Why is that not being taught, even mm-hmm. in our evangelical churches? That's a great—I mean, yeah, great question. CRT, critical race theory, is creeping into many of our churches. When, when the answer is so simple and so foundational, why is it so hard that even in some of the evangelical churches, we're having a hard time grasping that that is the real answer?
2: You know, I think it goes back to the fact that, you know, this nation a long time ago was founded on biblical principles and biblical ideologies. And it, those ideas kind of drove the landscape of our culture for multiple generations in America and throughout the West. But as the culture more and more has abandoned biblical authority and much of the church has followed suit in abandoning biblical right. authority, then if you abandon the Bible's account of origins, you must. You need a different account. What's the other account? Well, according to the secular world, it's evolution. We are just, as humans, we're evolved, uh, really higher intellect animals, but we're just animals that are highly evolved in essence of no more value than a fern or a rat or a cockroach. We're a chemical accident. When we die, we're done, as Bill Nye likes to say, and we're gone. And so there's no real inherent special value to humanity. And by the way, Bob, if evolution were true, then it would make sense that it's possible that some humans might be more evolved than others. Mm-hmm. That's what Darwin thought, sure. taught, and believed. We saw, we see this with so many atrocities throughout human history, where people, based on evolutionary ideology, assume some people are better than others.
1: Is it not true that Hitler used many of Darwin's principles to prove oh, the superiority of absolutely. the Aryan race?
2: Absolutely. He loved uh, natural selection. Evolution. He really, in his, in his book, *Mind Kalf, it drove his philosophy, the idea that there wasn't a higher evolved human race. And by the way, you know what? I bet if you could ask Hitler, you know, what are you doing? Hitler would probably tell you he thought he was doing humanity a favor. Sure. Getting rid of the weaker human races, getting the, rid ones... of the
1: Getting rid of the weeds, as exactly. Margaret Sanger exactly. referred to them as. But,
2: Oh, you're exactly right. And and since you brought up Margaret Sanger, you go back to her. She rooted her thinking in eugenics, which means some people are better born than others. Yeah. And the idea with eugenics that was in America and throughout the West was that we can guide human evolution by getting rid of the lesser races, by sterilizing them.
1: I knew our time would go fast. (laughs) We've been talking with Brian Osborne. Here at Answers in Genesis. Brian, thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for being with us this afternoon. My privilege. And Bobberty Live will continue from the Creation Museum. Stay tuned.